Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Trevor Cabrera. He's a nomadic pediatrician who has focused on locum tenens over his career. Trevor, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So, um, as I do always, I think it's really uh, important to set the stage um, and get the context of your journey to this point. And it's a little bit unusual, but, you know, contains some elements that I think contribute to your direction. Tell us how you got here and, and a little bit of that story. Yeah, uh, thanks, Nick. I'm, I'm so excited to be here today and talking to you. So, um, you know, my story, I think, like uh, a lot of people, so... Um, my, my dad was in medicine, uh, he was a cardiologist, and so I grew up in California. And so growing up, I watched him uh, doing medicine. My mom was a pharmacist, kind of just naturally had an inclination towards science. So of course, along you know the, the path everyone has um, a different story and how they get into medicine. But regardless of the case, I know that when I went that direction, kind of just kept going. <laughs> and uh, when I applied to medical school, the um, one out of 26 schools that I ended up getting into was in New Orleans, Louisiana. And so it was a big change for me. I, I may I stepped out of being in California, raised there, college there, ended up in in the South, and from there that just kind of springboarded everything else in motion. Um, after I ended up in New Orleans, um, it pushed me towards uh, my residency training, which was in Houston, and I had always wanted to do pediatrics, so uh, that's what I ended up do, uh, doing my training in. And um, you know, when, once I started in training, uh, for me it was always that as a pediatrician. Um, there's really only a couple of, uh, of jobs that we, we really do. We don't do operations. We don't do surgeries. We're either in the hospital, we're in clinic, something along those lines. And um, so my second year of residency, we had a locum, tenant, a locum tenens agency come and talk to us. And locum tenens isn't something I'd heard of until that, until that point. And so I remember sitting there and hearing the story of how basically it's, it's moonlighting, uh, frankly, on crack. <laughs> it's a new level uh, of traveling around and uh, of working kind of in this other setting that isn't traditional. So when I hit my third year of residency and I was kind of faced with where do I go from here? You know, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. My options were doing outpatient medicine or going to fellowship training. Um, at that point, because I liked everything in pediatrics, I liked intensive care. I liked uh, the neonatal uh, premature babies. I liked cardiology, uh, cancer, all these different things. I decided, well, instead of signing a you know couple year contract to a clinic or trying to go straight to a three year fellowship, because that's how long the training is, I decided I'm going to do this locum tenens thing that I'd heard about. So I started that when I uh, finished residency in 2020, and I just kept going. And it's been kind of a nonstop uh, roller coaster since then. So, I, I, I mean, first of all, let's um, detail this. I think some people will have some concept of this because there's been a lot of coverage of traveling nurses, which is very similar from a nursing perspective. It's essentially... Um, 
individuals that travel around the country to fill in for roles that are not full-time filled. They Quite often they're either on vacation, sometimes they haven't been able to fill the, the opportunities. I think this is very similar. We had you know those experiences through my training and my activities. But it comes with a, a number of sort of upsides and downsides um, that I think you've navigated through. So, you know, let, let's start with, you know, the upsides. What's been positive about this and what have you enjoyed? So that's a great question, Nick. So first of all, before I jump into that, I want to want to say the one thing that's interesting uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, travel nursing has become pretty well known uh, in the civilian world outside of medicine. But even within the medical world, locum tenens is still one of those things that I, I believe is a little less known about for physicians, providers. So the, the Latin phrase locum tenens means to take the place of, like you said, just like travel nursing, we're there to fill in gaps. The difference is unlike travel nursing, where these uh, the nurses are part of, they're employees of these agencies and they have set contracts that are generally eight to 13 weeks. I'm an independent contractor. I get paid with a 1099 and my contracts have been as short as one day. And as long as, well, at this point, I've been at the same job for seven months and they they come recurrent and they kind of come and go and they, they're kind of uh, really interesting. So one of the things that I feel is a, a pro, a pro uh, for what I do, um, and also plays into the, the general logistics. Is I, I envision myself as kind of a black ops, like Illuminati of like underground providers. I have gotten phone calls for jobs where I get orientation in the morning and I start on the ground seeing patients by the afternoon. They they, they teach me the EMR and I go right away, zero to hundred. And one of the pros is this taught me a lot of flexibility. I mean, I get dropped in places so quickly that I don't get this three week orientation. We don't get an orientation like that. And I also don't, I oftentimes am the only provider there. So it's not like I have a lot of people to ask for help. So the the thing is from a training stamp, clinical standpoint, I've gotten better as a uh, someone with resources, I've gotten more innovative. Uh, I like to say I've gotten more resourceful with less resources. I have uh, been able to get, become more flexible. And I've also learned that there's not the right way. There's not just a single right way of doing things. From an overall perspective, like on a business say, sake, I've, I've uh, negotiated so many different contracts. I've seen different hospitals. And now when I go from place to place, I've seen things that are good and bad. And it helps me to have a full, more well-rounded picture. You know, and the other thing is no matter where you train and, you know, for you as well, you've trained in different places. You just, your, 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 your openness is so much different. When I worked in New Mexico, 45 minutes from the border, dealing with um, mothers that would cross the border to deliver, that was one thing versus dealing with the native tribes in North Dakota versus working with the Amish in Maine. So it's been really interesting from, from that standpoint. I've also met a lot of uh, really awesome people. Um, and I've made these connections all throughout the country. And of course, the obvious thing is, you know, you can see really cool things. I mean, after our interview today, I'm going to go jump around four or five waterfalls in central Maine. So, you know, those are the pros. Um, some of the cons and things that are a little bit harder is that because I am a 1099, I have to deal with figuring out my own insurance. Uh, my job is very unstable. And it is very uh, risky from that standpoint of having uh, consistent employment. So I've taken a big risk, but it's been a fairly calculated risk. And of course, on the other, the pro side of that, the the, the benefit, I guess, to balance that out is the uh, general compensation is a little bit better since I'm going to places no, no one 
who really wants to go. And I'm helping out where places where there's really a need. Yeah, so I, I think there's some great points in there that you, you've sort of covered around that opportunity for learning. One of the things that I say frequently, I've, I've had a tremendous privilege of traveling the world um, and, you know, the exposure to other people, other experiences teaches you so much about humanity and the fact that in reality we're so similar that, you know, this, this uh, positioning that, you know, sees people as very different is just not valid in reality. We all have the same similar drivers. But it strikes me that you know, one of the things that you're talking about is experience and, you know, that flexibility, it, you know, I think probably three years ago, people have said, well, you know, why do you need to care about lack of resources? Although, you know, that certainly existed. I think for the most part, people believed we had, you know, available resources. Here we are three years later and everybody's going, wow, you know, the capability for creating a um, do-it-yourself respirator or putting people on two, uh, two patients on a single uh, ventilator um, was something that, you know, the clinical team learned. It, it strikes me you must be just extraordinarily well experienced Looking back, what what occurred through all of that that you go, wow, I, I, I would never have imagined that I had learned or knew or needed to know that, um, you know, starting out on this journey? Well, that's a really good question. You know, I think um, the biggest thing is what I've learned, uh, you know, in training, most, most residency trainings in the United States are in big cities. And so you have all the resources there. With COVID-19, we ran into that issue of re having not many of those resources in these big cities. But realistically, you look more rurally and farther, farther away from the big cities, and people have dealt with not having some resources for a long time. So I think um, one of those kind of pivotal thoughts I had was I was in a small hospital in Texas, uh, south of Houston. And uh, for, for babies that are born premature, we will do... Um, We'll use something called nasal CPAP a lot of times to help their lungs to, to with oxygen and ventilation. Um, and that's something now it's become standard of care in big cities. This uh, this hospital didn't have that nasal CPAP. They didn't have the prongs that we put in the nose uh, to help get that oxygen. So I remember going through with the respiratory therapist trying to figure out how to do this because they never did this. And it was going to be an inevitable delivery of uh, a baby that was premature that we weren't able to transfer. And it wasn't uh, too crazy uh, of a situation, but it was something that was a little bit different. And I remember us, we had to rig a little mask. It was really small, you know, about the size of maybe diameter of a Coke can or a little bit bigger than that to uh, some hoses that we, we hooked up to an old style um, ventilator. Because back, back in the day, this ventilator was only used for babies that were intubated that had tubes down their throat to help them breathe. But we've come a far way that we don't need to, we know that we don't need to put the tube down the throat of all the babies to help them breathe. We can just use the nasal part. So it's one of those things we had to get creative. Um, and it was, it was such an interesting experience. And it's really that, um, you know, the outside of the actual physical resources, I just don't have the experienced resources, the teams. Um, I was in another small hospital in central Maine, and we had a delivery of a, a baby that was, uh, you know, about 1,200 grams. Uh, so for 
for, 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 for pounds and ounces, what I'm about to two and a half pounds or pretty small, very premature emergent delivery. And at that hospital, I didn't have people that were trained in neonatal care. Um, I, I'd had some training as a, as a resident, but I, I wasn't, you know, an expert at it, but I remember running that team and trying to teach that team on the fly, how we were going to do this. And it was a hard, it was a hard airway. It was one of those things that was difficult to, to put a tube into the throat to help the baby breathe. And so what we ended up doing was we ended up doing a, uh, having a, a mask, um, something that we call bag mask uh, ventilation. We'd squeeze the bag, like you see on TV, to help uh, the, the baby to breathe. And we did that for 53 minutes until we could have a helicopter uh, with the neonatal team come transport and back us up. And so they showed up at 53 minutes um, old and they were able with a, a couple of tries actually to, to intubate the baby. But it was one of those things that it was a, uh, it was interesting learning experience. It was stuff that, you know, outside of the physical resources, having the team resources or having the, the knowledge that expertise, the consultants that just isn't there. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Trevor Cabrera. He's the nomadic pediatrician. We were just talking about experiences and uh, all of the uh, amazing opportunities that you've had to really make a difference in communities that are underserved. Um, reminds me a lot of my career, uh, you know, in those uh, experiences. One of the things that I really I appreciated so much was the, the level of gratitude that you receive just really gives you that boost, certainly from my perspective. I imagine that you're seen as a, a, a real hero in many of these settings. Um, you know, I, 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 as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking the MacGyver of medicine, and I know I'm dating myself with the original series, but there's a new series, you know. So I, I think, you know, tremendous sort of scope but obviously, it's not all perfect. And, you know, a couple of the things that you talked about are, are not insignificant. And let's deal with one that's very U.S. centric. That's um, the, the state regulations and being licensed. Has that been a challenge? Have you found that to be relatively smooth or how, how's that going? And are, are you licensed in all the states at this point? <laughs> oh man, that is a actually very relevant question for the exact day that I'm kind of stuck in. So, uh, you know, something important also to give this a uh, difference because a lot of people, hopefully listening, if they've met a travel nurse, for nursing, they have something called a compact license. It makes it easy for nurses to have a license, a, 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 a license to practice in multiple states. For physicians, that doesn't quite exist. There is something that's a compact license. It's called the um, uh, the IMLC, which uh, I, I forget the exact uh, definition of that. I think it's the Interstate Medical Licensure. Um, and this, what this does is it has a fast track to getting a license for physicians, but it still doesn't, it doesn't mean that <clears throat> you don't have to apply for the state itself. So for example, if you possess the IMLC as a provider, you still have to go through all the steps for that state licensing, but it shortcuts it. So instead of it taking six months, maybe it takes four months. Now, I don't even have the IMLC, but instead I've just gone through and gotten licenses individually. So I currently have eight medical licenses um, and I am in the process. I just submitted for a ninth medical license in North Carolina. And then I'm currently working on getting my 10th one for Massachusetts. And the Massachusetts medical license is one of the most tedious licenses that I've ever 
ever tried to obtain. Uh, the most licenses I've heard any provider hold as a locum tenens is, uh, I believe, 48 or 49 states. And that was, uh, I believe, one of my recruiters told me it was a radiologist which is the only field I think it's reasonable to practice uh, remotely. But for me, um, I, it, it would make the most sense if you're doing locum tenens for a long time, you can get this IMLC compact license to help accelerate the process, but still it's very difficult. You have to get an individual state license and every single state is different. So it is a big problem. And then on top of that, the cost. I mean, to give uh, you uh, an idea of the difference across the country, the state license for Texas, I believe, is around $400. The state license for North Carolina um, is about the same. And then Pennsylvania and uh, I believe Missouri were something like $35 or $75, under $100. And then California, $1,200. So it's just, it doesn't make any sense, uh, but it's, you know, one of those things that's a, uh, it's that difference between inter and intra, I guess, state uh, licensure. It's just such a pain. Um, now, we're all medically licensed as far as are my an actual uh, U.S. medical license uh, trained provider, but that's different than having state law regulated licenses to practice. Yeah, so I, it, it's always struck me, obviously, as a, a foreign medical graduate coming into this system, um, you know, just for context, I arrived into Australia, I handed in my UK certificate and the licensing authority handed me an Australian certificate. That doesn't happen <laughs> anymore, sadly, but it, it was a very good feeling. And I will tell you that medicine did not seem to be different except for an occasional accent and the fact that I was a pommy doctor to the uh, locals. Um, it, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. And I, I would love to see some of that disappear. As you think about uh, the way that this could be perhaps incorporated, is this a, 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 an opportunity? Should we be doing more of this with our medical graduates who I think struggle with experience, with exposure? You know, there's some of that going on, but are we doing enough? Should people be doing more? Uh, do you mean like should we, uh, I guess, in some regard require or have people kind of uh, at some point in training go out to these rural areas? Yes, exactly. Um, I think that's an interesting question. So I, I've thought about that a lot. And um, it's really it's really one of those things that I've got a friend that she's uh, finishing her training in uh, Tunisia. Uh, and when I spoke, talked to her about it, you know, she said that after they finish, there's some obligation to work for the government. And that no matter what, as a medical graduate, as a resident graduate there, uh, there's some obligation to practice for some amount of time wherever they throw you. I think in the United States, you're going to find that almost impossible to enforce just by the, the American mindset as a general thing, which not to get started on the political aspect, but you're not going to get an American to do anything outside of their own freedom and <laughs> telling them to do things. Um, but that being said, um, you know, in the United States, too, as much as I think there's some value to it, it's not necessarily for everyone, because if you're if you're planning your entire life to stay in academics or to stay at a big city, it may actually not be uh, very useful for you to have these experiences. Um, now, I do think it would help uh, as a <clears throat> from a social aspect and from an aspect of a referral center trying to navigate those places. But realistically, somebody that has all resources in a big city isn't going to need necessarily the innovation 
and that uh, some of those skills that come with being alone out in the country. Um, they're going to need other skills um, and they're going to be able to use their resources. So just a quick example of that. I remember um, I was in a situation where I was trying to figure out <clears throat> if I needed to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if it was going to be necessary to order an echocardiogram or an ultrasound of the heart of a baby. At the hospital that I was at, we didn't have that resource. But then when I spoke to um, one of my directors at another hospital I work at, that's a tertiary care center, you know, she kind of laughed. She said, oh, we have that resource overnight. That's not an issue. We could always get it. And so the point being, you know, and this, I think about this a lot. Is it necessary for someone to have that rural training? Not necessarily if you're planning to work somewhere that you're not going to, that you're going to need to know how to use the resources. So for, for my director, she needs to know when and how to easily do the resources at her institution in a big city versus, you know, if you're going to be more rural, you need to learn how to work without them. So I think it's kind of, you know, melding into whatever you're going to do for the rest of your life. Now, I do think, yeah, like I said, uh, just to repeat that, I do think that it gives you a better experience and makes you more well-rounded, but it's kind of questionable if in the long run, that's really important. In other words, is it really that important for all medical trainees to, to, to in the United States, get an undergraduate degree where they have to take an English class or they have to take a sociology class or something that they're never going to use in their life in medicine? I, you know, I think that's a, that's a very good question. It doesn't, it makes you a, a, a more narrow person uh, to, to only do what you practice, but that's your personal decision. And I don't think it, it, it necessarily influences everything. I mean, you can make the argument argument that as a, as a provider outside of the science part of it, that being rural, like you said earlier, you kind of learn we're all human, you learn a better patient interaction. But from a technical standpoint, I don't know if that changes practice per se. Yeah, I, I, I fully respect you know, the notion that you can't impose or force uh, a behavior or a requirement. That's, you know, it, it's the antithesis of sort of American behavior. Um, but I think encouraging and, you, you know, really pushing. And there is a lot of that with, you know, let's try and get folks out to underserved communities with right. you know, payoffs for loans and so forth. Um, but, you know, it really sounds like there's more. Um, I, I, unfortunately, we don't have time to dive into the requirement of the uh, additional degree and the uh, extra four years of time spent doing all of that, which, you know, questionable in contribution with essentially the whole of the United Kingdom uh, training system is direct entry, which doesn't require any of that. You go straight into medical school. In, in the closing uh, minutes, uh, tell us the, the, the parts of this that really... Um, you know, you've struggled with and the parts that you're really uh, excited about? So the parts that, um, it's kind of twofold. I will say I am constantly on the move because I do this full time. Uh, now, I think it's very important for anyone listening to know that a lot of people can do locum tenens in addition to having a full-time job. It's very common for people to work one or two weeks a month and then do a weekend covering somewhere. But I do it nonstop. I traveled 320 days in 2021. And as of July this year, I've already traveled over 200 days. <laughs> so for me, part of it is I am constantly you know, on the grind. I am never truly off because I always am working on getting my next job. It's very unstable. My jobs are only confirmed out to 30 days in advance. And it actually happened where I was set to have start a big job uh, in a couple months from now that was going to be around 10 or 11 shifts per month, and it fell through. 
So there's a lot of job instability if you do it at the level I'm doing it. But on the divid, you know, the dividend is if I get that work, it's it's fairly it pays off in a lot of different ways. I think I would say that's been a big issue. And also navigating, um, because I'm an independent contractor, the normal things that go with an independent contractor, which is taking care of my own taxes, taking care of my own benefits. Uh, and in that regard, going from state to state has a lot of traveling, which I do like, but is it, it makes it hard. So I think those are some of the, the challenges that I run into, um, specifically doing what I do. Uh, but on the flip side, what I get really excited about is I'm always going to somewhere new and I'm always seeing new things. So it's kind of a balance and finding that balance is the hardest part of doing it full time and doing it professionally the way I do. Yeah, I, I think great sort of summarization of the challenge, you know, even in your um, sort of uh, title, the nomadic pediatrician, you know, there's an element of that that sort of brings um, you know, some uncertainty, but also <laughs> you never know what the future brings. And, you know, if you don't like where you are, there's, <laughs> you're, you're in great shape to be able to move on to somewhere else. But that instability must be very challenging. But I think, um, you, you know, tremendous opportunity. Unfortunately, as we uh, do each week, uh, we've run out of time. So just remains for me to thank you, uh, Trevor, for joining us and sharing your experiences. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Nick. And then, of course, you know, for anyone listening, I'm happy to keep sharing my experiences and my travels on my blog, thenomadicpediatrician.com. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 